All right, let's, let's just dive into this. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us and may we receive what your spirit wants to say to us today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, I have really enjoyed this series. Yeah, I have too. I've really enjoyed this series. I, I love growing in the knowledge of what it takes to have a better life or a better marriage. Anything that I can do to make getting through this life a little bit better. And that, that I really enjoy these kind of practical messages. Now, what we've been doing by in, investing in you, but also hopefully you have invested personally your own self. The, the, the last 30 days, we've been trying to challenge you to do these seven-day challenges, intimacy challenges, we call them, that seven days of physical intimacy with your spouse, or seven days of acts of kindness, that that you're bringing intentionality to different areas in your life where you might need some priorities taken. Do something kind for each other. Why? Why are we doing this? Because we want to invest in the marriage that God has given us. We want to invest in our knowledge if we're singles. We want to invest in the knowledge of what it takes. We might be married one of these days, so we want to invest in those things so we don't have to learn those things after we after we get married and have to go through all the trial of, of what it takes to learn these things about other people, even if you may not experience it, make an investment. Listen, whatever you're wanting, I want God's best for you. I want God's best for you in your life. I want God's best for you in your marriage. I don't want you just to survive in your marriage. Just because somebody has, has, has been together for 50 years does not mean that they have a great marriage. They're committed and it's admirable, but that doesn't mean that they have a great marriage. I want everything and a bag of chips for you. I want everything that God has for you in your marriage, but it takes investment. It takes intentionality. It takes some vision, and it takes knowledge. Now, we've been talking about marriage builders over the last few weeks. The idea is that if you have these characteristics in your marriage, it's going to build your marriage, but if you have a lack of them, it's a buster. And if you remember, we first talked about commitment. Every marriage must be based, every solid marriage must be based on commitment, not happiness, not feelings of love. Those things are a result of commitment. But people who have, this, people who have been together for 30 years or for decades, people have decided to stay married. It must be based on commitment. Second of all, it's based on honor, mutual respect, mutual submission, Number three, we said that a marriage builder would be peace. That you can have all these other things, but if, but, but if you fight, if there's constant bickering in your marriage, it will tear down all you've worked for. There is a bond or a glue that keeps us together, and that is peace. Well, today I want to conclude today's series, and that is how to be known and how to be known deeply, and that is through intimacy. I want to specifically talk about intimacy now, this is the good stuff. This is what I believe is the point of marriage that, that, you know, you were single once and it was kind of like Adam was in the garden. God looked at him and said, you know, it's not man. It's not good that man should live alone. So I'm going to put him, I'm going to put somebody into his life and he's going to experience a close relationship. This is the good stuff of being married, intimacy, to be known and to be known deeply. But here's the deal. All the other, all the other characteristics of marriage builders lead up to this. There is no intimacy if there is not commitment. Are you with me? Are you with me? There is no intimacy without peace. 
There is no, there is no intimacy without the other characteristics. That These are things that you can't experience intimacy if you don't have the bond of peace. You don't have intimacy if you don't have honor or mutual respect. What is intimacy? I mean, if we're going to understand, if, if we're going to dive into this, this meaning of intimacy, if we're going to have that in our marriage, we need to, we need to know what it is. And, and maybe you're here and, and in your marriage, you don't experience intimacy. Or maybe you're here and you're single and this is the next step of your life. I think it's important that we talk a little bit about this. To experience intimacy in marriage, number one, just three things. Number one is we have to understand intimacy. I know that that is simplifying this, but the reason I'm talking about this is because we don't understand what intimacy is, and we don't get it right before we're married. And when we don't get it right before we're married, it leads us into a relationship, a marriage relationship, where we don't understand it. So number one, we got to understand intimacy, to know and appreciate what it is, that it is a gift, why it's so important, the vitality of that. Why is it so important? 1 Peter 3 and 7 says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. That could be vice versa. Treat each other with understanding. Understand what intimacy is. So what is true intimacy? Well, it's closeness. It's familiarity. It is unity. That is the bond of marriage. Two different people become one. They are united in spirit and united in life. And many times when we get, many times when I begin to talk about intimacy, the first place that our mind goes to is in the bedroom. I want you to snap your finger in front of the person and say, hey, snap out of it. Stay focused. That's the first place our minds go to. And that's what we want to experience, of course. And that's part of it. But specifically, it is a byproduct. What happens in the bedroom is a byproduct of the intimacy that you take care of and that you guard and that you experience out of the bedroom. A great marriage, listen carefully to me, a great marriage is not a result of a fulfilling sex life, but a fulfilling sex life is a result of a great marriage. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. A great marriage is not a result of a fulfilling sex life, but a fulfilling sex life is a result of a great marriage. And a great marriage is based on these things that we've been talking about. A great marriage is based on commitment. A, a great marriage is based, on, is based on mutual respect and honor and submission. A great marriage is, is based on commi- being committed to peace. That's when we experience true intimacy. If you think about it, our culture, we have this backwards. How do we, if you think about it, how we go about getting to know someone and and what leads up to marriage in our relationships, I mean, it's based on attraction. It's based on feelings. Here's the the pattern a lot of times. It's, It's first of all, in our culture, it's first of all attraction. And attraction leads to conversation. And conversation, once upon a time, you know, you had to go to, to a telephone. Now it's constant text because, you know, a smartphone, so there's this conversation takes place twice as much as it used to. And then from conversation, it leads into dating. And then if you do research and when people start having sex, it's usually by the third date. And, it, and this all happens within six weeks. All of a sudden, people are extremely close to somebody they don't know that well. That is, that is the way we go in our children. Let me ask you something. Can you really get to know someone in six weeks? Can you really get to know someone in 90 days? 
People that are married can say this. No, you really don't know someone until you live with them for about a year or two. And what's going on is people are getting very, very close, intimately close with people that they, that they don't know. Let me tell you something. I mean, save yourself if you're here and you're single. The reason I'm talking to singles right now is because if, uh, if we're going to experience true intimacy in a marriage relationship, we have to understand what it is before we get married and we have to guard it before we get married. Amen? Let me save, save yourself a whole lot of breakups. Save yourself a whole lot of heartaches. Save yourself a whole lot of disappointments and future trust issues. Wait. Wait to get to know somebody. Wait until you're married. And I know that we all blow this and we mess this up many times. But that is the standard that God has for us because he knows what is best for us. I've written down a few get to know you questions. We had a lot of single uh, young people, because of the past weekend, we had a lot of students with us that really appreciated these get-to-know-you questions. But I've, I've written down a few get-to-know-you questions. If you're here and you're single, you're thinking about dating someone, maybe you're thinking about getting married. But these are things that people don't ask each other. As they're getting to know each other, they find themselves in a committed-like relationship and don't know these things. How about this? Before you start go out, going out with someone or before you get close to someone, you might ask them these questions. Do you have a car? <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've met somebody that, that were going out, they didn't have a car, and they were like 22 years old or whatever, for some reason, hanging out the passenger side of your best friend's ride because you don't have your own car. How about this? Do you have a house? Do you have a, do, or do you live with your parents? There's nothing wrong with living with your parents when you're 25 years old. I just want to know these things about you before I get into a serious relationship with you. Do you have a job? That's a good question, isn't it? To find out. That's, these, are big, these are things that young people don't think about. All we think about when we first start going out is, is am I attracted to this person? Before you go to the next level, but even before you, before you date someone, I would say, Find out if that person has a job. Do you have any kids? Do you have any kids that we don't know about? Do you like kids? Before we get into a serious relationship, do you want kids after we get married? Because I've talked to couples before that never talked about that before they got married, and they never had a clue when they would ever have kids or whatever. These things cause problems. These are just good questions. How about this? How do you treat your parents? What is your relationship with your, with your mother or your father? Because that relationship will affect your marriage relationship. I had somebody come up, actually, a, a, a banker came up to me after the first service, and he said, you might add this to your questions. He said, this is a good, uh, this is a good question to ask somebody. What is your, your, your credit rating? <laughs> he says, that tells you a lot about it. That's true, isn't it? All right, what about this? Here's a good question. What happened in your last relationship? Why did you break up? That's a pretty specific question, but that's my, that might be something that you might want to know. You might want to interview their ex. How about that? No, that's not a good idea. How about this? Do you go to church? I've sat down and talked to people before that were in a serious relationship after 90 days. They didn't even know if that person went to church or what, what church they went to. More importantly, here's a better question. Do you follow Christ? What is your walk with God? Do you have a daily disciplined lifestyle where you, where you pray and you read the scripture? 
Or are you one of the, you know, the window sticker Christians where you just get the church sticker. We got church stickers. You put that church sticker on your back window and you drive around, but you never go to church. Do you have a walk with Christ? How about this? This is a good question. Do you have a felony? That's a good question. Do you know that affects you after you're married? All right. Have you ever had or do you have drug or alcohol addictions? Those are good questions. Hey, there's forgiveness and there's grace, but I want to know what I'm getting into, right? Right? Listen, Chick-fil-A, they'll ask you for three references and want to know your criminal record. They want to know all those things. But we don't ask any questions like that because we're just attracted to people. Hey, it's only your life. It's only the next 50 years of your life. It's only half your income. It's only who you're, the person you're picking to raise your kids with. We need to take that more seriously because these things sabotage intimacy if you find out things three years down the road. Well, man, give somebody a, a background check. We, we, hey, before people work with kids at Faith Co. Ministries, we, what we do is we run a background check on you. You need to have your own background check. Hey, take this pen, fill this out. You want to date me? Okay, fill this out. I'll get back with you. Urine sample? Yeah, we'll take that too. We don't know. I mean, we're in close, intimate relationships with people we don't know and wonder why we have intimacy issues. There is a reason why the Bible tells us not to have sex before marriage. And once again, I know we messed this up. And I'm not pointing any fingers, okay? I'm the last person that would do that. I'm not, but there's a reason why the Bible says that. And it's not because the, the, you know, our Lord wants to take away our fun. It's not because of that. It's because you weren't created for that kind of, that, of a relationship until you were married. I've had people tell me before, I've had, I've had young people tell me before, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to marry somebody that I haven't tried out. You know what I'm talking about? I've had people say that I'm, there's no way that I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to marry someone without first trying them out. I don't have time to tell you why that doesn't work. That's a counseling session. But I, I, I can tell you, I can tell you this, that if he, if he will open, listen to me, ladies, if, if, if he will open doors for you, if he will pray with you, if he will go to church with you, if he will defend you, if he will serve and honor you out of the bedroom, he's not going to disappoint you in the bedroom. You hear me? Say, so, well, you know, I, I want to make sure that we are compatible in this area. You know what that's called? That's called experience. And you don't necessarily need somebody with a lot of experience. That might be highly overrated. And let me tell you something. It's not, it's not about finding someone with all the right moves. Am I getting sp- too specific? It's, that's not, it ain't about that. It's about finding someone that's into you that will love you the way Jesus loved the church. It's about finding someone that will lay down their life for you, that understands what love really is, that love isn't about how I feel and the butterfly feelings that are on the inside of me. It's not about that. It's not about, man, this person is so beautiful on the outside. It's about finding someone that has a heart, that that searches for God, somebody that follows God, that understands 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love endures all things, love endures. Love love believes all things. Love is not envious. That's what love is about. You find somebody that will lay down their life for you. They'll make you happy in every other area of your life. 
God knows you, that you were created. He made you and created you to experience that kind of intimacy with one person. You were created to know a person's heart, a person's mind, a person's character. Your body is supposed to be the last part of what you give another person because that's the part that seals the deal. And this thing about you know somebody, you're in a relationship with them for six weeks, you give yourself to them, and you do that every year, you are abusing yourself. And listen, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. You're abusing yourself, and you will take baggage into your marriage, and you will have trust issues. There There will be things that you will deal with in the future. There is forgiveness, there is grace, but save yourself and guard your intimacy because something spiritual happens when we give ourselves to someone. This is something that nobody teaches in the secular world. This is only in Scripture. The Bible says that God does something in a man and wife when they, when, when they are married and they give themselves physically to each other, something spiritual happens. That, that there is a spiritual union that takes place. You're made to do that with one person guard yourself and give yourself to one person for life and listen if you have not done that in past relationships that changes today can't do anything about the past can't do anything about what we've done i can't do anything about what i've done but 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 that that behavior stays behind us going forward going forward that behavior changes if you believe that say amen So first of all, we have to understand intimacy. The second thing, if we're going to experience intimacy, is we have to pursue intimacy. We have to pursue it. In other words, never stop loving. And when we say loving, we're talking about 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the characteristics of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love love endures all things. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not envious. All those things, we see that love is more about what we do, not so much about how we feel. Proverbs 5 and 18 says, enjoy the wife you married as as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Never take each other's love for granted. You want to hear irony? You want to hear something ironic? That the enemy of intimacy is the result of being very close. The, the, the funny thing is that when you experience intimacy, you begin to take each other for granted and familiarity kicks in and then you begin to, you lose this awe. There's this loss of, of, of awe because I know all of your faults and you know all of my faults. And I see the way you act when nobody's around and vice versa. But Revelation, the second chapter, it talks a little bit about this spirit or this issue when it comes to living for God in the church. In the book of Revelation, the second chapter, there's this letter by the Lord or this, this letter written by John that was the expression of the Lord towards this church. He said, there are so many wonderful things that you have done and this church, and there are people getting saved, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and, and there are things as far as moral and sin that you're leaving at the door, but I have something against you. In other words, there's something about you and this beautiful church that, that bothers me. And he says this, he says it this way, you have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your first, in, in other words, you have lost your passion 
for serving me. And then he goes on to say, I want you to rekindle that passion. And I want you to feel that love. And I want you to express it in the, in the way you did at the very beginning. And how you do that is you go back and you do your first works. If you want to experience your first love, go back and remember, review, and redo your first works. Maybe you're here today and that's, that's what you're experiencing in your marriage, that you've, you've lost a little bit of passion. That happens so easily. When, you know, you get married, you have a few kids, life kicks in, all these things happen. Next thing you know, you've lost priorities of, of, of how you deal with each other. But let me ask you a question. Do you remember those things? Remember when you pursued each other just to make each other happy? Remember when you really went out on dates and it was about each other and you didn't run errands? I mean, you didn't go out and you didn't have date night and date night involved going to Walmart. You didn't throw in a few errands along the way. It was just about spending time. When you went out with each other and you sat across from each other and the phones didn't matter, you just looked into each other's eyes and you spent time getting to know each other. Remember what that felt like back then? Well, the only reason that you may not feel that way today is because you're not doing those same things. What do we do? We take each other for granted. How many times do you walk into a restaurant and see a couple looking at each, across from each other and both of them have a phone in their right hand looking and they're having no conversation? The whole lunch, and then lunch is done, we get, out and get up and we go. And that goes across every area of our lives if you want to experience that. I believe it comes down to one word, priorities. Keeping what is important at the top of your list. Think of areas in your life where you're not pursuing each other. What areas in your marriage have you lost this first love? Return to what you did first because intimacy is a constant pursuit that is found in pursuing the person that you married. Pursue intimacy with your spouse. Amen? Lastly, if you want to experience intimacy, you have to guard it. You have to guard intimacy. Do you know that you know that geese mate for life? I did not know that. I got these two geese that uh, come up in my backyard, and they've been doing this for three years. And it's a couple. It's a male and a female, and I've been watching for three years. It's the same geese. So it led me to do a little bit of a study on them because I ain't going to lie to you. Christmas rolls around, and the geese are in the backyard, and I don't have a turkey and I, I keep my 16-gauge in my room, you know, ready to go for, you know, in, in case, you know, you have a break-in or something. But, you know, I'm like, I'd like to have a goose for Christmas or something. Well, I got to do a little bit of study on geese. And they live to be almost 20 years old. And they mate for life. And when you separate them, some geese never find another mate. And second of all, they actually, they found out that geese actually mourn each other. So I got to do a little bit of digging, and I found a picture online that I want to show you. Maybe you've seen this before. Have you ever seen this picture before? These geese are saying goodbye. They're actually, the, the, the name of the, the picture is geese kissing goodbye. Well, the story behind this, this is in China, is these two geese, you can see the male on the ground. The female is kind of wrapped up in a bag and, you know, because he's taking her on his bike. What happened was they gave the female away, and they gave the female away to a friend because they're going to, you know, they're going to feed it to their family, which, you know, it's, it's a goose. But 
somehow or another, you can go online and read about the, the, the male knows something's happening, so he throws this big fit. There's like six or seven different pictures that he's throwing a fit, he's acting bad, he's acting bad. They finally get up here and they get this goose tied up, and now they sing goodbye just before they ride off. <laughs> which, take that off the screen. Which, which, I mean, after I read this, I thought, man, if I killed that goose, I would be separating these goose and I would cause the other one to mourn. And, you know, by the way, they're safe in the backyard. I've moved from, you know, it's a target to I'm feeding these geese every single morning. Every single morning I walk out there and I keep corn on my back porch. And I walk out there about 20 feet and I throw a bunch of corn and I go, I'm back there drinking coffee. And I'm looking out there and finally they come up there. They walk up there. And uh, something that I've noticed is that he stands guard as she eats. She eats, has a good time, walks around there, and he doesn't take one bite of corn. I've watched him closely. I thought, surely he's going to, he will not, he does nothing but guard her the same time, the whole time that she's eating. And I walk, sometimes I'll walk, he, he sees me through the glass. You know, if I take a step and work, you know, open that door, he immediately alerts her and they take off quickly. And I got to thinking about that, how, how, you know, in the animal kingdom, there is this sense of protection and there is this guarding. If you want to experience intimacy, true intimacy within your relationship of marriage, it must be guarded. You must guard each other. Listen to this. Genesis 2 and 25 says, this is the very first marriage, Adam and Eve. The man and his wife were both naked and were ashamed. The very first marriage, this was the very first marriage. Now, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. It could have been centuries. I don't believe, you know, okay, earth was created, water, separate, everything. You know, the Bible says one day is as a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is as one day. I don't know exactly, you know, maybe it was a thousand years for every day. Maybe it was literally. But I don't believe that it got, you know, to the, you know, the next day, you know, God created man, and the next day we blew it. It was over within eight days. I believe that they were maybe even centuries in the garden. And we see here, and don't miss this metaphor, the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. However, what happened was they sinned, and sin brought shame into this relationship. Once again, don't miss this. Don't miss the metaphor. Shame is associated with nakedness. It wasn't always that way, but shame is associated with nakedness. Now, now here's the deal. And, and, and for, I guess I'm okay with that. We wouldn't want anybody to walk around proud and not have any clothes on in this culture, right? But if I were, if I were, to, if I were to say, okay, I guess the reason that shame is associated with nakedness is because, you know, we, the way that we look at it, if I were to, to uh, say, hey, you know, we're gonna have a, we're gonna get some volunteers up here, and you don't know we want you guys to go back in the back and strip off and run around the church. First of all, ain't nobody want to see that, right? Because naked people kind of look funny. I suppose with enough photography and lights and everything, but it looks kind of funny. Second of all, you know, nobody's interested in that. Why is that? Why is there that that happened? Well, since the fall of man, there is this shame associated with nakedness. Because there are parts of us that we don't want people to see that is very personal. But that was not always the case. For in the garden, the Bible says, for the garden of Eden, we see the perfect picture of true intimacy. 
where two people knew everything there was to know about each other and they were unashamed. I see everything about you and you see everything about me and there is no shame. But Adam did not guard that environment. And Eve, he he did not guard, guard the environment. He did not guard Eve and there was sin brought in that. And here's the deal. Sin brought shame into the first marriage. And what shame does is it robs the marriage of intimacy. Sin causes shame that robs the marriage of intimacy. Shame is brought into marriage because of sin. It could have been sin that happened before marriage. It could have been sin that happened during the marriage. But what happens is it sabotages every marriage. It it brings shame. What happens many times is it Something will happen before a marriage and, and you, won't, you won't trust. I don't trust your reaction. If you really knew what I have done, I don't trust your reaction. You might not love me if you knew everything there was to know about me. Therefore, we can't experience true closeness. You can't know these things about me. Sin. Sin sabotages it. Because of what we have done, because of what we've experienced, maybe we've been unfaithful or maybe something else has happened because I don't trust you anymore. I will not open up my heart to you anymore. Shame is brought in because of sin. And it sabotages intimacy and people don't experience true intimacy because of sin and the shame that it brings on. But I've got some news for you. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I want to close with this. Maybe you're here today and that's what you experience in your life. Maybe that's what you experience in Even though you're single, you experience, maybe you push people away because you can't trust anybody. And even maybe God has brought somebody into your life that you really feel like that you could love them or or they could love you, but you keep pushing them away because of maybe something that you've done. If he really knew me, if she really knew what I've done in my life, I can't trust this person with the truth. Or maybe you're here and your marriage has gone through something. It has suffered some turmoil. Trauma because of things that you've done and you experience some shame and it's, it's messing with your intimacy in your marriage and you've lost that closeness. The Bible says those that are in Christ Jesus have been made new. You can't do anything about what's happened. You can't do anything about what caused the shame. You can't do anything about the sin. You can't do anything about those things, but you can start right here today and say, I can't do anything about that, but I have been made new in Christ. I can do something about the future of my marriage. I can do something about this. And it just so happens that the Spirit of God will move on the inside of you. If you give this to God, if you give your guilt, if you give your shame, if you give your past to God, God doesn't care about that. The Bible says he throws that as far as, as far as the east is from the west. He throws it into infinity. He's not concerned about that. And you really can't be new. 
The only problem, the only person that has an issue with what you've done, the only problem that feels guilt, the only person that, that, that feels shame is you, nobody else. God makes you brand new in your life. You just got to step forward in God. That's what God has for you. You just need to believe that. You need to make a decision to go with him, and you need to believe that today. So as I pray with you right now, whatever God is speaking to you about, whatever God is saying to you, whatever's been lost, whatever would cause you to feel shame, just know that scripture. Let me read it one more time. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a brand new person. The enemy will creep up to you every now and then and remind you of what you've done. You can say in your spirit, I don't even know who you're talking about. That's not even me anymore. You just need to believe it and start acting on it. Amen? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to confront us in our lives that need change. Lord, I know that there are people here There are people with issues in marriage. There are people that have made some mistakes, made some bad decisions while being single. Lord, I I know that's that's just life, and that's people. That's, That's us as humans. But you have something better for us. And I believe that you want to speak to people today. And I believe that that you want to change people today. And I believe that you have something that you want to say to people in one of those things is that, that if we have given our lives to you, we are brand new. So whoever needs to hear that, whoever needs to experience that, may we experience that. If you're seated next to your spouse, will you take that person by the hand? I want to pray with you. I want to pray for your marriage. I thank you, Lord, for every married couple that it's here, that's here today, and maybe there are people that their spouse is not with them right now. I thank you for that. I thank you for the gift of marriage, that we experience true intimacy. We experience a marriage, God. Thank you for that. It is not without its challenges. But Father, if we do it your way, your word says that you have come that we might have life in abundance real, true life, not only in the life to come, but right now. So I pray, Lord, that you will speak to people, that you will change us. Father, may we confront areas in our lives that we have been ignoring. May we address the things in our marriages that we've been just letting go about, that we've been pacifying, God, because as we address it, it brings change, and we walk in the newness of life and the marriage that you've created for us. In the name of Jesus. If you believe that, say amen.